Yolanda Fields is the chief program officer at Breakthrough Urban Ministries, and she's the head of the Adult Support Network. She leads a staff of 25 people and works in the area of homeless ministry as well as neighborhood transformation. Her passion and her heart for social justice are absolutely infectious. For the next few minutes, I want you to go ahead and take a look at some of the stats from Breakthrough Urban Ministry. And then following that, Yolanda will come up and share the word with us. Good morning, Parkview. Such an awesome privilege and opportunity to be with you today. I am excited. I'm excited because the God we serve reigns. I was really moved by that last song because the God we serve reigns. He reigns over everything. He reigns over our circumstances and our situations. He reigns in Iraq. He reigns in Chicago. He reigns supreme. And because he reigns, you and I have the privilege of assembling in this place with all of the freedoms we could imagine. I had a, a, a turn in what I wanted to talk about, um, and I requested that Kim would allow me the opportunity to share uh, the slides from Breakthrough, and I'm so glad that um, your team was able to accommodate me. I wanted to do that because I believe that the message that the Lord has given me this morning um, has a lot to do with the reason why I work at Breakthrough Urban Ministries. So our leader, Arloa Sutter, and um, most of our other leadership team, they actually live in East Garfield Park. Now, when I say that to you, that's impressive. But I want to tell you, it's only impressive to white people. <laughs> Nobody else understands why they would do such a thing. Um, but what really impressed me was not the fact that they live in East Garfield Park, but that they have a heart to walk alongside the people in East Garfield Park. I'm growing up in St. Louis. I grew up on the west side, and my first uh, encounter with white evangelicals was through uh, the VBS van. And you guys know about the van way back when, over 40 years ago. They would come into our uh, subsidized neighborhood, and they would bring a van, and on the van, um, they would encourage us to come to VBS in the suburban areas of St. Louis so that we could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my mother took great offense to that. Um, I wanted to go because they had treats. They had good treats, and everybody else <laughs> talked about those treats. But my mother said, there is no way I will allow you to leave our community when the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached with truth and conviction and power and passion every single day. And so I grew up with this notion that um, for many white evangelicals that African Americans were projects. We were missions that needed to be completed. And so when I met the staff of Breakthrough, I was so surprised to learn that they even recognized that there was value already in our community and that when they showed up, they didn't bring God with them. He was already there and they were joining the rest of us in service. And so I have to admit that this is a difficult time to be a Chicagoan. So we're talking a lot about what's happening in the Middle East, and my heart is breaking for the persecution that occurs there. But there are some startling facts about Chicago that I want to share with you today. Did you know that 31% of the babies in Illinois are being born to girls 18 and under? 
We don't talk about teenage pregnancy anymore, but it still exists. About one out of every three black people living in Chicago are living in poverty. That's number one among America's largest cities. In Chicago, nearly 700 children last year were hit by gunfire, and an average of about two a day and 66 of them died. That was last year's statistic. And so you can only imagine what this year's statistic will be. Over 600,000 Chicagoans live in concentrated areas that are short on access to free meat and produce, but we're flush with packaged and convenience food. I can continue on with these statistics for the remainder of my time, but that's now why I'm here and I'm afraid that it would make you afraid to come to the city. (laughs) I'm afraid that it would make you afraid to get involved. I'm afraid that you may have some concerns about the rest of us in the city being killed violently. And I'm afraid that you may be overwhelmed and simply decide that there isn't anything you can personally do to make a difference. And so I've come today to ask you to join me to join me in changing the headlines. I believe that you and I together not only can make a difference, but we can rewrite the story of history for Chicago. There are two scriptures that have anchored my time of preparation for this morning. The first is found in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verses one and two, and you have your nice screens and I have my big Baptist Bible because I have to remind myself that it is a luxury and a privilege to have a Bible. In 2014, there are still countries and people that don't possess this. And so I open up my big Baptist Bible that's all torn and ripped, and I am able with pride and as an American to declare my right to read from this big Bible. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then 1 John, the third chapter, verses 17 and 18 says, But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but deed and in truth. So I'm looking forward to the day that the body of Christ rises up and creates a new narrative um, for poverty, for injustice, for oppression, for all of those things that plague our world. And I believe that the way we do it is by walking in love. So I want to share today just a few lessons that I've learned um, that I believe would be helpful. Um, For many of us, we have to edit our behavior if collectively we're going to change the headlines. So here's the first point. Love beyond stereotypes and personal preferences. Love beyond stereotypes and personal preferences. James the third chapter, the 17th verse says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit, 
impartial, and sincere. Love beyond stereotypes and preferences. So the first opportunity um, I had to have my world shattered um, was during the first couple months that I worked at Breakthrough Urban Ministries. I've been there 11 years, and um, I got involved because I wanted uh, to see our church, um, where my husband serves as senior pastor, connected again to the East Garfield Park community. Um, Our church is over 60 years old, and um, we began to lose, uh, I feel, the influence that we once had in the community. So as I started as a staff person, um, I came with lots of corporate experience. I had been um, with AT&T for 10 years, and so in my mind, there was a way that I was going to lend my services to Breakthrough, Um, and and that way uh, was packaged really neatly in my mind. So for the mentally ill, um, because Breakthrough serves uh, all kinds of people from varying backgrounds of all ethnicities, and And so for the mentally ill, I had said to myself, I am going to ensure that their needs are met. I'm going to make sure that they don't hurt themselves and that they don't hurt others. That was my neat little package. And then walked Miss Ann. And we'll just call her that because I didn't get permission to tell her story. Um, Miss Ann adjusted my perspective. Um, And the way that she adjusted it was simply by living abundantly. Um, Miss Ann came to us. We already knew that she was educated. She had a family that supported her and um, didn't understand why she would choose to come to the West Side. Um, After working with her for a few months, we realized that there were some kind of psychological issues. And um, so we had begun to say to each other, you know, she probably had a nervous breakdown. And then when we formally got her story, what she said to us is that her brain and her body just needed a break. And so Miss Ann um, would struggle with mood swings and um, episodes of just kind of random discourse where she would be present and then she'd find herself in a former time in her life. And for us, it, um, it was challenging. It um, really caused me personally to kind of discount her. And that was my first mistake. On this particular morning, Miss Ann got up and um, like she did every morning, she got on her bike and she was headed out to Lake Michigan. Now, what was so uh, strange for me is that this morning it was raining. Um, And so she got up with that same kind of joyful spirit and declared that she was going to do her morning ride and we were like, you don't want to do that. And we tried to discourage her. And by the time she came back, the sun was out. Um, she was still a little wet. And she walked in the door and she um, put her bike up and she proclaimed how awesome God was and how he allowed the sun to rise and it was glistening over Lake Michigan. Now, I have to tell you, it had been a long time since I thought about the glistening of the sun. And I don't ever remember thinking about Lake Michigan in that way. And so she began to go on and talk about the joy of the Lord and just how awesome God is and all of the small things that he creates and he does for his creation. And it was at that moment that I realized that she had learned something that I still was grappling with. She had learned simple abundance. 
And so had I not been willing to step outside of the stereotype that I had created in my mind of the mentally ill, I wouldn't have been able to see the value, not only that she was bringing to my life at that time, but the value she was as a creation of the Most High God. And so I want to encourage you today to love beyond your stereotypes beyond your personal preferences. I don't know what those are, but I am certain that each of us has them. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, it is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, are otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. So I'm reminded of the interaction that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman and the tax collector and all of the stories that we're able to glean from the Gospels. And I am reminded that Each time God did that, that he was moving beyond what uh, the communities would say about the stereotypes and people's personal preferences. And so um, I have to admit that uh, growing up in St. Louis, that I was pretty acquainted with the evangelical agenda. Um, I knew that uh, white people of faith, that they were very interested in not having abortions, and they were very interested in um, there not being same-sex marriage, which are great things. Um, The Bible certainly has something to say, but what I didn't know was the love they had for the people who were trapped and entangled in those situations. And so I I was willing to step outside of my comfort zone when I um, decided to come on staff with Breakthrough and to partner um, with the white evangelicals who were there who have um, been able to teach me so much. And um, together we have learned how um, to live um, in community. Um, But I want to say to you today, my second point, is make sure your offering costs you something. Make sure your offering costs you something. Um, Romans uh, 5 and 8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Um, And when I think about that, um, it compels me to think about having skin in the game. That we serve this great big old God who does all of these awesome things in our lives, and we kind of give him little patty cakes of service. We don't offer up to him things that actually cost us something. And so um, there is a story in the Old Testament that really fascinates me, and there are a number of reasons that I'm fascinated by it. One is because um, King David is at the heart of it, and um, I love him because he messed up a lot. (laughs) And I mess up a lot. I try really, really hard, but sometimes I just don't get it right. I don't say the right things. I don't do the right things. I don't respond in love. Sometimes I miss it, and I blow it big time. And this particular story, David had done just that. He blew it big time. Um, He decided that he would call for a census. And although the men around him were telling him, 
that's probably not something you should do. Um, David did it anyway. And, you know, whenever we are disobedient, there is a consequence. And um, the loving God that we serve allowed David to choose his consequence. And after David chose his consequence and that uh, consequence had been administered, the Lord told him uh, to go into a land and to build an altar. And so as David went um, and he got to the land, there was the owner of a field. And um, that owner was happy to see David and that owner offered up um, to David the land at no cost. And this is what uh, David said in 2 Samuel 24 and 24. He says, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And from that example, I am able to understand That when we offer up what doesn't cost us anything, it really isn't an offering. It becomes convenience or it becomes tradition or what is expected of us. Um, We often look um, at other people around us who are making sacrifices, and I'll just talk about me. um, And it looks like they're doing great things for the Lord, right? You could look at our Laura and Bill and John and the rest of our leadership team, and you could think, wow, they've moved into the city. That is awesome. You don't have to do that. God may not call you to it, and I'm not sure if you know what happens when gentrification comes to our neighborhood. So if you don't decide to do that, it's okay. But we look at people like that, and we say, oh, they are doing amazing things for the Lord. Without examining where it is he's called us to and how we may offer up our own sacrifices. I have an eight- and a six-year-old, and um, I juggle and balance and prioritize all of um, the things in my life so that we can um, be for them, my husband and I, what they need. When my girls were toddlers, um, we lived right off the expressway. And so when we would jump on 290 and then jump off, um, as soon as we got off, there were people who were always there asking for things, for money, for food. You've seen the signs. You know how it works in the city, particularly off the Eisenhower. And so early on, um, I wanted to do something, but who's got time for that? When you've got two kids that are 24 months apart, you want to do something, you don't know what to do. Well, when my oldest was about three years old, We were pulling up off the expressway, and she said, Mommy, what are we going to do? Now, I always had a response because I feel at the very least when people approach you, you should acknowledge them with at least an eye present. And so I never looked away. I would always acknowledge, and I would respectfully say, no, I don't have it. And so when my daughter said, my three-year-old, Mommy, what are we going to do? I realized that I needed to respond. And so I prayed about it, and the Lord gave me a really simple idea. I bought white paper bags from Walmart. I allowed my girls to color on them. We stuffed them with granola bars and hand warmers from Walgreens. And then every time my girls asked for a Happy Meal, we would go in, and I know you'll probably think it's torture, but we would go in, and instead of buying a Happy Meal, we would buy a $5 gift card. And that became our offering to those we met. Now, for some, that may seem extreme, but I want to suggest that sacrifice is extreme. What God offered us in Jesus Christ is extreme. So maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, 
I don't have time. Um, I'd like to confess in America, we have become bondage to our schedules. And if it isn't your schedule, it's your children's schedule. I had to make a choice. We, we can't do dance and cheerleading and soccer and art. We have to make choices. We have to make a sacrifice. I don't think my children are going to be any worse off for it. But there is something that you and I must do if we're going to offer up to God something that costs us. And so maybe you are uh, sitting there and, and you're thinking, I've got preschool age children. I can't sacrifice anything else. I'm already spent. Or maybe you're at a point in your career and you're feeling like I need to put everything into it if I'm going to the next level. I would encourage you today to think about what your sacrifice is. Maybe it's eight hours of time to a nonprofit if you are um, in law or accounting and that um, hour of consultation could have huge impact to the nonprofit who can't afford to hire those expertise. Or maybe the Lord's called you to the golf course and on the golf course you're golfing with a few judges. Maybe God has called you to talk about unfair sentencing and the new Jim Crow that exists in our prison system, I don't know what he's calling you to. I do know that he's calling you to sacrifice. And so as I think about changing the headlines, um, there are a list of things that I could provide for you um, that I think would help us in doing it, but, but there's just two more, and, and, and this one is uh, act now. Act now. So um, I'm from the west side, and my posse is here with me because, you know, these suburbs are treacherous. <laughs> so they're here, and there is a call and response that happens um, in the African-American church that I want to engage you in today. And so when I say act now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, bust a move. Act now. <laughs> One more time. Act now. <laughs> bust a move. So in the book of Esther, um, Mordecai writes in Esther form for he tells her, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. If you and I are going to change the headlines, we cannot sit back and wait on somebody else to do it. I can't wait on my schedule to free up. I can't wait on on a great move of God in the skies to open up, to tell me exactly where I should be and what I should be doing. If we are going to rewrite the headlines, you got to bust a move and you've got to do it now. We don't have the luxury of waiting. Um, one of the stories that I like to tell is of an early American abolitionist. And I like to tell his story. His name is Anthony uh, Benazet. I like to tell it because he was a Quaker. And there are lots of other um, white people who joined the anti-slavery movement and who had a passion um, for freedom for African Americans in this country. But I like to tell his story because the reason that history says that he got involved was because slave owning was not consistent with Christian doctrine. It wasn't consistent with Christian, Christian doctrine. So... I want to just suggest to you today that there are a lot of things happening in our world that are not consistent 
with Christian doctrine. So to fight against abortion and not advocate for the well-being, education, and quality of life for the children who are kept here seems a little inconsistent to me. A willingness to have a prison ministry and go into the prison system and express the need for Christ without making sure that the system designed to rehabilitate doesn't become the new form of slavery could have overtures of inconsistency. There are some things happening in our world, our community, our nation, that requires a response. These things are inconsistent to Christian doctrine. And the only Christian doctrine that I subscribe to is love. And there are some things happening all around us that are inconsistent with love. So the position you and I sit in, it's royal. In fact, we've been called a royal priesthood, a peculiar nation, and this is our moment to arise. The enemy has issued an edict and is determined to destroy the communities of our land. He does it with violence. He does it with oppression. He does it with hunger. He does it with injustices. So you and I can't remain silent. We've got to bust a move. We have to individually and collectively act now. I've already envisioned what the new headlines could read if you and I decide to bust a move today. Something like this. Local church assembly eliminates hunger in their suburban community. Church lady group creates refuge for women fleeing domestic violence. Or how about this one? Local Christian business owners credited with gainfully employing over 50% of Illinois' ex-offenders. Or this one's my favorite. Chicago Jesus followers show up for adult tutoring, resulting in a 20% increase in adult literacy levels. I can only imagine what the headlines could read if you and I decided today that we would love beyond our personal preferences and stereotypes, if you and I decided right now, today, that we would take a stand. I don't know what's holding you back. And for some of you, you've already been in the trenches and God is calling you to a new level of intensity with your walk with him. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what your struggles are. But I do know that when the body of Christ comes together collectively on one accord, in love, we can change the headlines. Shall we pray? Lord, I thank you. I thank you because you are an awesome God. You are high and lifted up. You and you alone are able to keep the sun and the moon and the stars in their sockets. You and you alone are able to speak and things get done. And so while the situations around us appear to be raging out of control, you are the kind of God that speaks. And just as you spoke the world into existence and just as you spoke uh, peace over a raging see that you today can speak and things get done. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen that we serve a God who is present to us and who is the one who goes before us. Amazing that with his strength and for his glory that we can be unstoppable. That's amazing. Can we say thank you to Yolanda for a minute? Wasn't that a great message?
Absolutely. Thank you so much, Yolanda. I want to close out this morning by sharing with you one of my favorite prayers. It's from Lynn Heibel's book, Nice Girls Don't Change the World. So please bow your heads with me this morning. Dear God, please make us dangerous men and women. May we be men and women who acknowledge our power to change and to grow and to be radically alive for God. May we be healers of wounds and writers of wrongs. May we weep with those who weep. And may we speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. May we cherish children, children, embrace the elderly, and empower the poor. May we pray deeply and teach wisely. May we be strong and gentle leaders. May we sing songs of joy and talk down fear. May we never hesitate to let passion push us, conviction compel us, and righteous anger to energize us. May we strike fear into all that is unjust and evil in the world. May we dismantle abusive systems and silence lies with truth. May we shine like stars in a darkened generation. May we overflow with goodness in the name of God and by the power of Jesus. And in that name and by that power, may we change the world. Dear God, make us dangerous men and women. Amen. Now, in the words of Ray, as the church leaves the building, bust a move. You guys have a great week.